the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Welcome into the show. I am your host, Chad Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question or if you want to sign up for the event, Rob Black and I are doing together February 15th. In uh, Menlo Park, just go to chadburton.com, seven steps, seven key steps for retirement planning. You can check it out. We'll talk a little bit more about it after the second segment. Let's get a little market update. So for those listening on the podcast, recording this February 7th before the market opens. And uh, so as of yesterday, NASDAQ up 4.41% year to date, S&P 500 up 393 The Invesco S&P 500 equal weight ETF, RSP. Uh, so rather than being more heavily weighted in the top largest companies in the S&P 500, it's equal weighted. It's flat for the year. Emerging markets, if I look at EEM as an ETF, is down 1.57%. Look at that because you know, obviously China's been in the news a lot lately. And international developed, DFA down 0.19%. So basically flat for the year. Meanwhile, the Russell 2000, which was on a tear at the end of 2023, down 3.51%. Why is that? Well, the idea is that rates aren't falling as fast as people thought, right? There's also the the banks that tend to be in the smaller cap indexes tend to be regional banks, which I'll talk about in a minute. If I look at most China based indexes down 10 to 13 percent for the year um and it's kind of interesting that it should be in an area all on its own because it's kind of stuck in a lot of emerging market funds but you know china's one of the largest economies in the world so should it really be there or not um one of the reasons when you look at actively managed funds versus indexes in the space of emerging markets, I prefer actively managed funds. Are the fees higher? Yeah, in some cases, the fees are quite a bit higher. But when you look at returns, they're net of fees. So sometimes you get what you pay for. And China has been a bit of a mess, but it's been in the news a lot lately because China, through conduits, the government has been buying ETFs and trying to prop up the market. So that's been in the news quite a bit lately. It's drawn a lot of attention of short-term traders. We look at the 10-year treasury opening up today around 4.11%. The two-year around 4.22%, so still inverted on the yield curve. Uh, A lot of news today about office REITs. And I think this is one of the most telegraphed, hey, this is going to be an issue and one of the most known issues in terms of we got a big problem coming down the line. In the last 30 years that I've been doing this, it's like, duh, yeah, we see it. We, we know it's coming. Although Simon Properties, mall operator, up over 4% yesterday. Meanwhile, New York Community Bank Corp, NYCB is a the symbol there, down 55% yesterday. Or, or I'm sorry, year to date. Um, now, today, there's some more positive news on the company, where it might open up a little bit higher here. 
deposits better than expected, but New York Community Bank Corp. Now, you think in New York, you think of one of those downtown areas, New York, San Francisco, Portland, Oregon, Oakland, horribly run cities where people were allowed to trash the cities, where it's dense, it's hard to travel, it's hard to park. And people just aren't returning to work like they were. But if you look outside of those areas, it's just not the case, even just outside of Portland, Oregon, because we have an office in the Bay, the, the teams that I lead for EP Wealth, we have offices all over the country, but are in Redwood Shores, just south of San Francisco, and Vancouver, Washington, right across the bridge from Portland, Oregon. Vancouver, Washington, especially in the downtown waterfront, if you haven't been there, it's pretty, it's really, really nice. They put billions into that area, and the office space down there is very expensive and very full. And... Uh, but if you go, I mean, nobody wants to go into downtown Portland. A lot of stuff is closed. Um, we always joke because the only reason to go to downtown Portland is there's one steakhouse remaining. There is an Apple store and then Pioneer Square, which is where you can go to like a Louis Vuitton and a Gucci if you're that bougie, right? So regional banks, we've got an issue coming up here still. So obviously with... The crypto issue and Signature Bank, now it's how are these commercial loans? How are these properties that are the valuations haven't come down enough and the vacancy rates are still, you know, where they were during COVID because people are working from home three days a week and in the office two days a week and often sharing space. So if we look at REITs, like a, an ETF, like VNQ from Vanguard, there's IYR, there's uh, RWR. These are all uh, funds of REITs, right? VNQ is down about 5% for the year. Big, it was rally towards the end of the year. But if you look at KRE, which is a S&P 500 regional bank ETF, it's an ETF that holds a whole bunch of regional banks, which is where the fear of the exposure is. When we look at JP Morgan, which is a stock that we own for clients, there's not a lot of exposure to commercial real estate. But when you look at many regional banks, there is. And so as these loans come up, because when you have a commercial loan on a building like that, you know, rental property, it's typically, you know, you get that 15 or 30 year mortgage on commercial properties the, the amortization schedule might be over 15 to 30 years, sometimes longer, sometimes interest only, but the interest rates are locked for five or 10 years. So you're constantly refinancing. Um, and that is by nature, we're going to have $1.3 trillion worth of loans that are going to be refinanced this year. And it's going to be at a higher rate because what happened? Well, rates went from the toilet zero down to zero and, you know, post COVID on the 10 year treasury up to four point, a little over almost 5% last year at some point, but they're going to be paying more and they're having trouble filling buildings. And so rents are lower and the interest rates are going to be higher. That's an issue, right? So we are not out of the woods when it comes to regional banks. Our investment policy committee yesterday at EP Wealth kind of went over several talking points and you know what they're looking at in terms of portfolios. And, and you know me, if, if people have listened throughout time, um, I really like an asset class called small cap value, right? I think it's a really great area to be, and I think it's still undervalued, but you have to be very careful on the funds or the ETFs that you choose to make sure there's not a large regional bank exposure because I don't think we're out of the woods yet there. 
there could be a buying opportunity where there's going to be a lot of smaller banks that are flushed down the toilet with a lot of banks that, uh, you know, even if they don't have commercial real estate exposure, they're going to be baby out with the bathwater, which is a weird term. I got to look up where that came from. I mean, he accidentally actually threw a baby out with the bathwater one day and came up with that term. It's like, look up the rule of thumb. Robin, I've talked about this on the air before where that, where that term came from. That's not pretty. Uh, anyways, getting back to it, um, recent data, a recent data provided by the National Bureau of Economic Research indicated that the loan-to-value ratios of commercial office loans are extremely elevated with roughly 45% of current office loans with LTV ratios greater than 100%. So <clears throat> in terms of um, this is kind of the longest period of time where in our portfolios, we haven't seen a lot, we haven't seen exposure to REITs directly besides a cell phone tower one, but in terms of a general fund or ETF that owns a bunch of different REITs, no, the ones that I've been buying for clients with portfolios over 2 million have been private, which um, I look for the ones that if they own office, it's not a lot. And it's been picked up in the last couple of years, kind of post COVID and the leverage is really low and there's some good ones out there. Um, I think this will create a buying opportunity in REITs, and we just have to keep an eye on it and see how regional banks are affected and how the Fed reacts to it, right? Are we have so far a strong overall economy in terms of the numbers? Now, do I trust a lot of the numbers? I don't know. I think I talked about that yesterday on Rob's show. Um because there's been a lot of layoffs in the tech sector, people that were making a lot more money and then now they're not. And so those numbers are interesting. But but the way that the Fed reacts to this commercial loan property in terms of rates, we'll talk a little bit more about it after the break and how you look at your portfolio. If you have a money question for the show, if you want to sign up for the event, just go to chadburton.com. It's February 15th, Menlo Park, all about retirement planning. We'll be right back. Think you're in good shape for retirement? Find out how you're really doing with the seven steps for retirement readiness. Join Rob Black and CFP Chad Burton of EP Wealth Advisors Thursday, February 15th in Menlo Park for a live event. Chad will walk you through these seven steps to find out whether you are really ready for the retirement you want. Rob, will provide timely commentary and Chad will share specific strategies for taxes, income, long-term care, safe money, investing, life goals, and more. If you have at least $500,000 in investable assets and want to gauge where your retirement stands, pass on your estate, and create tax efficiencies, this event is for you. The 7 Steps for Retirement Readiness, Thursday, February 15th, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Stanford Park Hotel in Menlo Park. Space is limited, so sign up today at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Can you pass all seven tests? Sign up online today at robblackshow.com. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email or actually go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. While there, you can sign up for the event that Rob Black and I are doing in Stanford Hotel, Menlo Park, February 15th, 6.30 p.m. It's the seven key things you need to think about before you go in and say, you know what, I'm going to retire and live off of the assets that I've saved. Very key, very, very key items. We'll talk a little bit about it. I'm going to kind of get through this um, talking points on regional banks um, because like I mentioned before in the news last few days is New York Community Bank which turned a little bit positive today because people are looking at deposits saying, okay, it's not that bad. Now, 
there's there are going to be regional banks that are really overly exposed to commercial loans. Um, the commercial loan that I had on my commercial property in downtown Vancouver, Washington, um, the bank that held that loan, it went under during the financial crisis. Now that ended up a good thing because that loan got sold for pennies on the dollar. And then I got a payoff offer to get rid of that loan and it saved me like 30%. So I kind of came out really good on that bank distress. So those kind of things may happen out there. And then there's going to be certain real estate companies that are really good at acquiring properties on a discount and trying to do something. The question is, is on some of these commercial properties that people don't want to really return to, how, what type of shape are those buildings in? Is it worth it to go in and try to restructure those buildings to turn them into high-end living and high-end retail and things like that? So um, it's going to be an interesting couple of years, $1.3 trillion, at least in commercial loans being refinanced this year. And of course, it's caused by this big migration of people leaving their offices and opt in, opting for working at home. We even have a lot of employees that are splitting their time between home and work. We also have a Salesforce-based contact management system where everything we do is a financial planning firm. Every trade, every financial planning task, every tax analysis, all of the things that we do are tracked in tasks and processes in a CRM. So we can see when people are productive and doing their job or not. And, you know, even me personally with having to run two teams, clients in the Bay Area, clients near Vancouver, Oregon, Portland, Washington, really all over the country. I have a great gym and home that I built in during COVID and I have a great den that I love working out of with a view of a lake. And I'm definitely in my home office more than in my office office. And, and, but I still talk to all of my people every day, really just as much. So I get it. I get it. Things have changed for sure. And, um, you know, the, the days of driving in traffic for an hour or two each way, it's just over. Like it, people just don't want to do it anymore. In coming quarters, banks could find themselves in, in the same situation as New York Community Bank. Um, so there's a lot of risk facing regional banks, but, you know, really it's, it's kind of known, right? This, this news is supposed to come out. Um, we've seen this issue come out between uh, here and even overseas in some in some Japanese banks, um, you know, we've started seeing this in the summer of 2022 and we're constantly looking at our portfolios because in, in asset allocation, when you have news like this, it doesn't mean you just ditch everything, right? You just have to take a closer look. Like where specifically on the banks that you own, where are the earnings coming from in the small cap value? So where these issues are is regional banks. If you're going to own them, and you don't know it, it's because they're probably in a small cap value or a mid cap value fund. And the reason why they're at that, they've been trading at a low discount for several years uh, because they just have had a tougher time making money with these lower interest rates. It's that credit spread. And when regional banks have a tough time making money, they try to sometimes take a little bit too much risk. And in this case, it was commercial loans, right? And so, you know, we closely examined our fund holdings. And, you know, you should too, if you own small cap value, mid cap value, if you don't, you should consider continuing to add to it because it's probably going to have some volatility this year due to the regional bank exposure and just everybody assuming that anything regional bank or anything uh, small cap value or mid cap value is going to have exposure to it. 
So what a good time to buy when everybody else hates it. Because if you look at small cap value over long periods of time, it tends to be a good asset class, a good performing asset class. And if you look at the forward PE ratio in a small cap value fund versus the S&P 500, it's about half. So fundamentally pretty attractive. Um, and so when I do it, I use Y charts. That's a service that I pay quite a bit for. Um, it's my favorite charting and quick information. And, and um, I can do screens for if I want dividend paying stocks that have grown their dividend over you know, five plus years by 10% or more. I can create screens in that and do it. I can click in any ETF or fund and look at what the holdings are and look the holdings by sector and see what the financial exposure is. And so that's something that you should do too. But I think, like I said, these, these types of news events, this isn't a black swan event because everybody sees it coming. Now, could it get way worse than anybody expected? Potentially. But now the feds have some arrows in their quiver. They, they've raised rates by quite a bit so they can bring them back down if it starts to affect the economy. Um, so it, it's something that we're keeping a close eye on and just brace for the news you're going to have more regional bank problems. You're going to have some that shut down altogether or taken over because they had too much exposure. And you're going to see continued price declines in commercial real estate. Now, the crazy thing is, is that it's this, the, this is such a concentrated problem in terms of where the issues are, like downtown San Francisco, downtown Portland, downtown Oakland, uh, downtown, right in downtown Chicago, downtown Houston, those very specific areas and it will pull the prices of some of the other real estate down temporarily, but long-term it's probably going to provide some buying opportunities long-term for those that are patient. Um, and it's going to be definitely interesting to play out. That's for sure. All right. So the, like I said, the rates are much higher, right? We touched on the 10 year treasury, which kind of affects has, has a greater effect on things like mortgages and commercial loans Touched almost 5%, but it opened up today at 4.11%. And it's interesting. I, I have, you know, ChatGPT and the paid for service open all the time. And so when I want to do a quick search, it's like, you know, it's such a better search now. Now you have to always verify the information. But I said, um, you know, what's the average interest rate for a 30-year fixed mortgage? And the response that you get back isn't always accurate because this doesn't include any points and fees and other issues like that. But uh, according to ChatGPT yesterday, the 30-year fixed rate mortgage has risen to 6.508 APR, while the rate for a 15-year fixed rate mortgage has grown to 5.844% APR. If you're considering an adjustable rate mortgage arm, the average for a five-year arm has also gone up to 7.774% APR. Um, if you do like a Forbes search, a 30-year they stated at uh, 7.26, 15 years, 6.48. So it's a little bit all over the place. What's interesting on home loans is that the builders that also have that financing arm to get people in the homes, they're offering discounts on mortgages where you can kind of get under that 5.3, 5.5% on a 30 year in some cases. If you've even heard of different better deals, you, you, you kind of pay for it on one end or the other. But under a long period of time, it might be pay, better to pay a little bit more up front for the home to, and then have a longer or a shorter interest rate for that next 15 to 30 years. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about home buying and swapping and things like that after the break. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email, chat at chadburton.com. That's where you can sign up for the event. Rob and I are doing Menlo Park on February 15th. We'll be back. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. 
That's robblack.com. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, let's go to chadburton.com. If you need some help with your financial planning, money management, account minimum over a half a million, you can go to chadburton.com. Between all of our offices that we have at EP Wealth across the country now, well over 80 certified financial planner practitioners, tax team, estate planning team, investment team, we got it all. So check it out. All right. So we're talking about 30-year mortgage rates, 15-year mortgage rates. Um, and it's interesting. So I've, I've seen kind of some movement lately, whether it's younger people that I know that have kind of grown out of their existing home and their only choice is to sell it, get into a new one, but pay a higher rate. So what are some of the financial things that they need to do to do that? Um, if uh, told one couple, their police officer and a nurse, and uh, friends of mine. And I said, look, it, it, if you have enough equity to put over 30% down on your next house, but when you sell it, use some of that equity, pay off all your credit card, pay off your cars so that you can afford that new payment. But it's something that they had to do with two kids and two dogs. They had just grown out of their area and it wasn't an area that they wanted to continue to own or keep it as a rental. A lot of people that are in a home right now, let's say, you know, they want to either upsize or downsize, but they've got a home that's got a mortgage rate of under, you know, 3% or under on that, that property. It's like, well, maybe I, those loans aren't going to come back anytime soon that anybody can see at those rates. We're back to the normal on interest rates for mortgages. So can they find a way to continue to own it as a rental? And if, is it a really good idea to own as a rental property anyways? Do you need that headache or not? Is the rent that you're going to get from it going to end up as positive cash flow. If you, one of the easy ways you can think about it is say, okay, okay, I can rent it for X number of dollars per month on a yearly basis. Is that at least more than 6% of the value of the property? There's a lot more work that you do to figure out if something's a rental or not, but that's, you know, if it's not, then, uh, you know, I would probably pass and move on. There's a lot of different REITs, real estate investment trusts that you can buy that are, you know, netting the four to six percent range pretty pretty easily. So why take extra risk unless you're in an area where you think it's just gonna explode in value? Right. So we've talked before about if you own rental properties and you're not getting that type of income anymore and you don't think you have much price appreciation left, there's 1031 exchange options into passive investments that you can do. Um, another area is people that are just kind of retiring and they're downsizing, for example, or even upsizing, but they're just moving, right? They're leaving the Bay Area, wherever it may be. Recently, um, working with people that were had ended their career in um, South Carolina and they wanted to now move at retirement. And so they've got a home and they've been looking and all of a sudden, you know, most of the time these days, you're still, when you're finding something that you really love, you are still seeing in certain areas, multiple offers for the same property. So you have to be ready to close and close quickly. Um, you know, 30 day close is all cash type of offer. So you're sitting there thinking to yourself, okay, I have assets in my retirement accounts. Can't touch that. Cause if I do, if I pull the money out, I'm going to pay huge taxes. I have a whole bunch of investments in my Schwab or Fidelity account in my individual account, you know, a taxable account, individual joint with a spouse or trust with a spouse, you know, trust account. So just taxable investments. But if you sell stuff, you're going to pay large capital gains taxes because the market's gone up so much. 
So that's not very attractive, but you got to buy this home. You know, you're going to be able to sell your house, but not within 30 days required to close. So what do you do? Um, you can, there's a difference between a margin loan and what's called a collateralized loan or pledged asset line is what, for example, Schwab calls it, where you can actually borrow against your securities at a rate with SOFR rates, which is kind of a new LIBOR, right? Which is around 5.31 last I looked. So it's usually that plus one or 2%, sometimes more. Um, when you go through advisors like EP Wealth, you get tend to get a better deal. Um, but that's a way where, hey, I'm going to borrow money against my securities without having to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to pay a you know decent interest rate. It's interest only. Um, it's not a margin call loan, though. So if the market cracks, it's not like they're going to call it on you. You can typically get somewhere between 40 to 60% of the value of the securities. You buy that home and then you, you, you know, secure that deal. Then you sell the existing home that you're in and you're, you pay back off that loan that you took out um, against your securities. And... You know, that's a fairly common thing. And then typically, if you if you want to have a traditional mortgage, as long as you do that refinance within 90 days, you can get a traditional mortgage on that property. Because even going into retirement, sometimes it's a good idea to have a traditional mortgage of around three to 350000 or more to allow you to itemize your deductions, especially once you get some healthcare costs and other things on, on your return later in life. Um, so it can still be good to hold a bit of a mortgage in retirement. So a lot of financial planning involved, but I do have a lot of clients that do real estate deals that, you know, their, their job is real estate or they uh, are in construction or they're into buying houses and fixing them up. And when they need to close with a, a solid offer and all cash, they can use that against their securities without selling a bunch of stuff and paying a bunch of capital gains to, to do that. So um, those options are out there. So there's a, if you're trying to learn about it, I'm not talking about margin, right? I'm not talking about when you borrow on margin to buy stocks or short stocks or, you know, do options and things like that. Because if the market moves, you can get your margin called. You know, if you want to think about that, you can watch the show Dumb Money, which is all about the, you know, GameStop stock hype. Um, Currently, finally watching the series called Billions, um, which you can find through Prime or Showtime or something. I can't remember where we watch it. It's all about you know shorting stocks and hedge funds and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's pretty interesting, um, but uh, it's 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 a very traditional part of of life out there. So the thing is, is like it can be it can feel like you're you're kind of stuck when you're trying to do this in retirement, right? Where you've got the assets, you're retired, you're looking for your new place or your second home. But a lot of other people are. We're at peak 65. We've had $10,000, 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every day for several years now. And I think we're at that kind of peak wave of that. So you have a lot of people retiring, downsizing, or retiring and potentially buying a second home. So really normal part of life, right? All right. So um could kind of sidetracked on talking about pledged asset lines and collateralized loans and things like that but um let's let's get back into the world of retirement planning because the event that rob black and i are doing um at the stanford hotel on february 15th 6 30 p.m coming up soon so sign up quick before it fills up uh it's the seven tests the seven steps rather for retirement readiness so you know, I could stretch this out into more like 10 pillars or 10 steps because I, um, you know, 
knowing your expenses is kind of a given. Uh, so let's talk about that for a minute because everybody hears about the rule of 4%, right? I think anybody has anyway. So it was very popular when I was in college, just first getting into this business. There's a Nobel prize one about it that basically says if you retire and or if you're thinking about retirement and you look at your portfolio and you can live off of 4% of that portfolio. So back then, if it was a million dollars, you could live off of $40,000 a year. You could increase your withdrawal each year by 3% to keep up with inflation. And as long as you maintained a balanced portfolio, like 60% stocks, 40% bonds, then you should have enough money to make that 4% adjusted for inflation withdrawal till you died. And then interest rates fell drastically. And so that 40% that was in bonds wasn't earning as much money. Now it had high total returns because interest rates are dropping. You could sell bonds at a gain, but in terms of income, by holding bonds to maturity, that wasn't the case anymore. Um, And now you're hearing, oh, the 60-40 is back. Well, for me, for retired people that have over $2 million, it's more like 55% in stocks, 5% in alternatives, certain private real estate and private lending, uh, and, and then the bonds. And some of those bonds are laddered. So the 4%, does it help you at all? Well, yeah. I mean, if you are, let's say you're sitting there and you're, you're living off of your take-home pay um, and you're, love, you're, I'm talking Bay Area numbers now. So this might offend people living in another part of the world listening to the podcast. But let's say you need 100 grand a year and your take-home pay has been 100 grand a year between you and your spouse. And okay, I can live off of that. So divide $100,000 by 0.04, that means you need at least $2.5 million earning 6%, right? So that may work okay if you're retiring at 65, right when you trigger Social Security and Medicare. But if you're born 1960 or later, your full retirement age is 67 before you want to take Social Security. Most people wait till uh, they're... If, if, then that's if you're retiring, you know, 2027 or after, but most people wait until they're 70 anyway. And then your whole tax situation changes again. You got the, you know, retirement, you got then Medicare at 65, you've got social security at 67 or 70. Then your required minimum distributions, which we're going to talk about kick in at age 73 now. And so there's, while that 4% is a okay rule of thumb to give a person an idea, I'm going to look at everything that I've saved. I'm going to multiply it by 0.04. Can I live off of that? Can I pay all of my expenses, all of my healthcare costs, and all of my taxes as I withdraw from my 401k on that number? Most Americans, the answer is no. Most Americans are living mostly off Social Security. 76% of Americans are something like that last time I looked. And so we're talking about those that have saved and that are going to actually replace their income. So it is, there's different stages of distribution planning in retirement from early retirement to age 65, when you have extra medical costs, we have potentially though premium tax credits. Then at 65, you get Medicare. And then at some point you get social security, either 67 or 70 for older, for people that are born 1960 or later. And then required minimum distributions kick in. So that 4% is just a baseline to say, Am I anywhere close? Oh, yes, I am. I better get a really detailed cash flow, tax flow projection, asset allocation projection, a really good detailed financial plan before I go in and call it quits. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Talk a little bit more about seven steps, key steps for retirement planning. 
You can find me at chadburton.com. What's the best way to choose a financial advisor? Download our guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. What do I do in the breaks when commercials are playing? Checking snow reports. What a rough year for snow across the country. Obviously, you know, Tahoe area got hit really hard. Utah's getting some snow this week. Almost decided to jump on a plane and fly to Utah and go to either Snowboard or Brighton, but it seems like everybody else is having the same idea because they're chasing snow around the country because it's been a really rough start. And I'm used to, I've been snowboarding since they were wooded in seventh grade and doing catch-up contributions finally for the first time this year in my 401k. So you can kind of guess my age. <laughs> so it's been a long time and I go usually once a week in the winter and once or twice hella skiing in the winter. And it's been a rough go taking my littlest one up for some lessons and bunny slope style stuff, but I need a powder day. It's killing me. It's my balance in life. What are you going to do for a balance in life in retirement? That's one of the seven steps. So there's a step we're going to talk about in detail and how you think about it is, well, obviously knowing your expenses is a given, and then I'll teach you about what are the medical costs, like Medicare Part B, how the Surtax Irma works, uh, supplemental insurance, how much those things cost. But knowing your expenses is something you really got to think about on your own and bring that information in to the financial advisor, certified financial planner practitioner to run these detailed cash flow projections. And of course, we have worksheets that can help you figure it out if you've never done it. Um, Because you could be one of those people that are lucky enough to make a lot of money, you're saving a lot, and you know that you're not even spending all your take-home pay. That's that's a great position. You're you're truly blessed to do that. But eventually, at some point, you got to create a a budget to track, so you can see how your financial plan is working once you do retire and you're no longer feeding your 401k. So the different things you got to think about in the future, like are you going to be paying for weddings, occasional home remodels, new cars every five to seven years, or a perpetual lease. And I tell you what, one thing I need to talk about more of is that increasing vacation budget. Man, that's the biggest cost increase that I've seen in a lot of retirement plans lately, where $10,000 a year travel is now more like $20,000, $30,000 a year. Now, there's cheaper ways to travel, right? Um, you could really get focused on it and really follow people like the points guy that knows how to really deal with credit cards and hotel stays. Um there, there's an article, they, they send in emails out and there's a website, but they are talking about um, uh, Rakuten, I think is how you say it, which is um, R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Um, Jamie and a lot of other people that I know use it. Where the, When they do online shopping, they actually get cash back and you can actually swap those points. Instead of getting cash back from Rakuten, you can get uh, American Express membership reward points, which is kind of like a boost if you know how to use those properly. Um, so Rakuten, R-A-K-U-T-E-N is an online shopping portal that partners with over 3,500 online retailers like Home Depot, Marriott, Nordstrom, um, according to the porn sky and offers you cash back on a percentage of your purchase. Most retailers offer between one and 4% for just shopping at the same places that you always do. Sometimes it's as high as 20, 10 to 20%. And you can apparently, according to the porn sky, if you have a, the platinum card from American Express, change your earnings preferences to Amex points and then use those points to travel. I don't, it's like I, every year I have a, a goal to try to be better at doing credit cards and the points and things like that. And I make little baby steps, but 
I really love what people like the points guy do that know how to, to play the system, get points back, fly first class all the time for not a lot of upgrades. And that's something that, you know, I'll probably do more in retirement um, if I have time, because it's, it's interesting to me. Like, how do you, how do you work that system? I think it's getting a little harder and harder to work, but that idea of having enough money to do this, still continue to do the things you love and enough health to do the things that you love. Uh, you know, yesterday we lost Toby Keith, um, very popular country artist to cancer. Um, and so you, you think about, you really part of focusing on your retirement plan is thinking about your health and then, but what are you going to do all the time? If you're going to travel more and, but be a little bit out of a budget, maybe your goal should be, how do you figure out how to use points and travel systems and things like that? I'm still about I, uh, close to doing a show on how do you ditch a timeshare? I've got a, a timeshare world mark that my grandparents left me that I hardly ever use because every time I go to log on and try to figure out how to do points and I can't plan vacations a year in advance of this business. Um, first of all, in the summertime, I like to be on the boat, wake surfing every night, every weekend. Don't like to go anywhere. When I like to travel, it's to chase snow. So I can't really pre-book a trip because every time I pre-book a ski trip to a resort somewhere well in advance, you can bet that that resort is going to be an ice skating rink and there's going to be snow everywhere else but where I am. So I like to do vacations on the fly with, with very little planning because I plan all day long at work. So I guess I'm not very good at planning my vacations long term out. Um, so I, I can't, I hate the thing. And when you look at it, the resale value of it's terrible. I mean, you're never going to get really positive comments from me on timeshares, unless you are a person that travels the same time every year to the same location and you love it and you don't care about going anywhere else. That's the only people that a timeshare can work for, in my opinion. Um, there might be people that are out there that can go on sites that we'll talk about. And I got totally derailed on what I was going to talk about to talk about this stuff where you could buy points on existing timeshares for really, really cheap. So that's, that's another, another show. The seven steps are linear cash flow test, which is a basic idea of how long your money's going to last a risk tolerance test to say, how will you react in difficult market cycles and how can you set up your portfolio so that you're not, your risk tolerance doesn't drop to zero as soon as you stop working a safe money test, which is how much cash should you have on the line, uh, sidelines in any given year. A tax test, which is which withdrawal strategy is best for your situation. Which accounts do you draw from first? A Monte Carlo simulation, which is randomizing your portfolio scenarios and figuring out what is your order of return risk when it comes to the market. Long-term care and nursing home tests, that's self-explanatory. And then that life plan and fulfillment, which is things like volunteer, travel, working out. How do you feel good about yourself when you're no longer going to work every day and being texted and emailed and, and needed where you got to keep busy on your own? Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find all the links to the podcast. You can sign up for the event February 15th with Rob Black and myself in Menlo Park. 6.30 p.m. in person. These seven steps, we'll go over them in detail. 
Have a great day. Think you're in good shape for retirement? Find out how you're really doing with the seven steps for retirement readiness. Join Rob Black and CFP Chad Burton of EP Wealth Advisors Thursday, February 15th in Menlo Park for a live event. Chad will walk you through these seven steps to find out whether you are really ready for the retirement you want. Rob will provide timely commentary and Chad will share specific strategies for taxes, income, long-term care, safe money, investing, life goals, and more. If you have at least 500000 in investable assets and want to gauge where your retirement stands, pass on your estate, and create tax efficiencies, this event is for you. The 7 Steps for Retirement Readiness, Thursday, February 15th, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Stanford Park Hotel in Menlo Park. Space is limited, so sign up today at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Can you pass all 7 tests? Sign up online today at robblackshow.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.